When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at Kroger.com slash boost. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. We are joined again this week by uh, another special guest, or the only special guest that you get on this show, and that is my dad. We have a fantastic story this week, um, probably not as long as some of the episodes we've done, um, but it is an absolutely mind-boggling episode, um, something I know a little bit about, um, only from my dad from uh conversations we've had um and yeah it's it's uh i think it's quite an interesting one um it's a little bit a little bit on the the gory side or i suppose on the um, upsetting side i suppose um when we talk about it and for some of you this might hit home a little bit closer um than some of the other the episodes that we do but i hope you enjoy it so what are we talking about this week dad uh, we're talking about uh, something that is referred to in uh, the UK as Foxtrot 1-1 or yeah. Foxtrot 11. Yeah. Now, there's, there are times when things occur which make headlines. Sometimes they're relevant to only those involved. Sometimes they've got wider implications. Mm-hmm. This one, I hope you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. I know a lot about this one. My work... This is one of the things that they do teach us. This is part of British yeah. Metropolitan Police history. Yeah. And this is why it's so cool. Uh, to Actually, for those of you who... I mean, I'm pretty sure all of you guys know, um, but my dad, obviously, is a member of the Thin Blue Line, uh, Metropolitan Police. How many years have you been in the police now? 22 years. 22 years. So All, yeah. all as a first responder. Yeah, so... Quite a uh, quite a scary job, not one I'd want to be doing, and especially when you hear stories like this. Yeah, yeah. and it just goes to prove that um, America does not have the monopoly on things like this. They have more. Yes, there is no doubt about this. But things like this do happen in 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 the UK, right? So, so we start. Yeah, go on. Okay, Let's so go. we're going to go back to the twelfth of August, nineteen sixty six. Um, for those of you that have any knowledge in history it is a few weeks after 
England won the Football World Cup. That's soccer to everybody over there, I think. Yeah, no, you know, it's football. It's football, yeah. <laughs> okay, now, unlike the majority of police around the world, the UK force is unmar- unarmed. We don't carry guns. There are police units who carry firearms, but the majority of UK police don't. There's only 19 countries in the world where the police are actually unarmed. Do you want me to list them? Yeah, go on. Go on. They are Bhutan, Botswana, the Cook Islands, Fiji, Iceland, Ireland, which is Southern Ireland. That's quite shocking. I'm surprised the Irish Uh, don't. A place called... Kiribati, Malawi, Marshall Islands, Nauru, New Zealand, Niu, Norway, Samoa, Solomon Islands, Tonga, Tuvalu, and the UK. In addition, the last two, Vanuatu and the US Virgin Islands. So, in reality... And and I hope no one's going to take this offensively, especially if you are from one of the countries that have been listed. We're talking small countries. Yes. With, I'm assuming, quite a low crime rate. I mean, I can't imagine the crime rate in Iceland is, is shockingly bad. So I'm assuming when you're talking about a country the size of the United Kingdom, I mean, you're talking over 100 million people in the United Kingdom. Um, no, it's less than that. Well, England's, what's England's 80 million? Yeah, the whole got- of the whole of the UK is somewhere in a region of eighty million. Uh, Twelve million live in London. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a lot. Yeah, that, that's like good fifteen percent of the twelve to fifteen percent of the whole of the UK wow. live in London. So yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, a coincidence or not, these countries have a substantially low murder rate than others. Yeah, but they still got them. Well, London doesn't at the bloody moment. Well, no, London has a serious problem at the moment with knife crime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had this... Um, no doubt whatsoever. We had this conversation. I don't know if you ever listened to the Brady show that I did. Um, and obviously the lady on there talking about gun control in America. And I said, you know, you've got to remember that the UK only banned guns in 1996. Was it 96 or 99? 96. 96. That's when we banned handguns. Yeah. So... You know, they don't, so trying to explain to her that, you know, you can do it, you can ban guns, and it's not, there's not that much of a, a repercussion from it. Oh, but I can see moment, you going there. You're going to have some real fun with some of your American friends if you go down that line. I I'm can not, see that. <laughs> I, 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 I would see myself, if I lived in America, I would be a gun toting redneck. I would be out there with 30 mm. different guns. I love guns, but I don't you know, we don't need them in this country. And it doesn't make that much difference. I mean, you look at the crime rate. It was a couple of years ago, they said the murder rate in London was higher than the murder rate in New York, you know, and that yeah, doesn't surprise me. No. And considering we don't have that many guns in this country, it's quite shocking to think that. Oh yeah. It don't make a difference. They'll kill you with mm. a screwdriver. If I they mean, can get one. <laughs> it's uh, the killing of police officers, which is, to be perfectly honest, is what this particular uh, yes. thing is about. Is a very rare event. Yes, it but is. when it does happen in the UK, it makes massive news. I mean, there were only four officers killed in 2020 in what the UK. Police officers. All uh, right. See that's, now, that's still quite high, though. When you think it is, but you've got to think about it. One was shot. Yeah. Yeah. One was hit by a vehicle. 
in 19 uh, sorry in 2019 but died a year later so he died in in yeah. 2020 and two died in accidents okay so it's not necessarily yeah that's what i said is officers killed on duty yeah not murdered not murdered killed on duty Although obviously one being shot all right been. in australia 2020 there were no police officers shot four officers were killed in an accident guess what america australia banned guns as well <laughs> And those four were hit by a vehicle on the same incident. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Australia. All right. US, 128 officers killed in on duty, 49 by gunfire. Wow. 27 by vehicle accidents. Now, you've got to compare that. America is far, far bigger and populated yeah. than the other two. It is, but... It's massive. Percentage-wise, that's still... Oh, I don't know. You've got, you know... That's and given the the, the, the the number of guns that are, uh, the US has, more that I don't think is that bad. I don't think it's that good. It's not good if you're on a receiving end, but it's no. not that bad. Okay. So, this particular podcast re- re- relates to a crime that occurred in London in the summer of 1966. And it's kind of relevant to these statistics... But I've got to set the scene. Okay, All right. let's go. So let's set the scene. We have the criminals. We've got three of them. They are Harry Roberts, John Duddy, and Jack Whitney. Yeah. yeah. The police officers involved, of which there are three. Detective Sergeant Christopher Head. Temporary Detective Constable David Wommel. And Police Constable Jeffrey Fox. They are the three officers involved. What does temporary detective mean? It means that uh, he's either... He's been a police constable, a uniformed officer, Mm -hmm. and he's been moved up to plainclothes detective. Right, okay. Yeah, but he hasn't passed the qualifications to be a a DC, a detective constable. Right, okay, so he's just... He's still a police officer, but he's a uniformed officer in a, a plainclothes role. Right. Yeah. Okey-dokes. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, Friday, 12th of August, 1966. England is in the... Oh, we brought home the World Cup two weeks ago. The Labour Party under Harold Wilson won the general election. The Beatles are top of the charts for the 10th time. And it's 21 years after the end of the Second World War. We're in the middle of the swinging 60s. Yeah. yeah. Quite a good time. Right to in the middle. In, yeah, it's a good time to be in England at this this point. It is. You whacking my microphone? Yeah, sorry about that. No, that's okay. I've got a ring on as well, just to hear the <laughs> ding. Okay, the Friday 12th of August in the morning, they saw three criminals driving around North London. They're looking for a car. They want to steal a car. They need to use it for robberies. Those three, John Duddy, Jack Whitney, Harry Roberts, they were after a particular car. Uh, they were after a fairly new Ford Corsair, <laughs> and they'd sussed one out uh, down in East Acton near the tube station. They were all driving around in Whitney's battered old standard Vanguard, which is a van. Right. Yeah, it's okay. an estate car type thing. There must be a thing with these. Ford Corsair, that's what um, Peter Sutcliffe used to drive. <laughs> the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. I mean, it's not the, the... The car, the Vanguard, wasn't the most inconspicuous car to go out thieving. It was noisy, 
Uh, and this particular one had an exhaust blowing. It was backfiring. The exhaust was held up with a bit of wire. The tyres were bald. The chassis was falling apart. The blue paint on it was patchy with white showing through and there's dents all over it. I mean, it's not an inconspicuous car. No, it's one that a police officer probably would pull over just to yeah. find out why. So that's yeah. that's them. So we, should we talk about Harry Roberts? Yep. Yeah. Harry Roberts, he was the self-appointed leader of this particular group. Okay, so All he right. was the Jack the Lad. He's, uh, he's the Jack the Lad. He was born 21st of July 1936, drew, grew up in a place called Wanstead in Essex, and his family ran a hotel called the George, which, you know, was one of these sort of pub-type uh, hotels. And later on, they moved to North London, uh, where they uh, they owned a cafe. Uh, Harry, uh, he was actually a career criminal. Um, his crimes began early. In his early years, he helped his mum sell stolen goods on the black market during the war. Uh, that would usually be tea, coffee, milk, fruit, petrol coupons, anything they could get their hands on. Uh, ration books. You know, cause, uh, he sounds like yeah. a bit of a Dell boy. Yeah, he's a little bit Do of a Dell boy. A yeah. little bit of a, what we would call a spiv. Yeah. Yeah. At 18, unfortunately, he took an iron bar to a shopkeeper during a robbery. Uh, he got got caught. He did 18 months in what we would call a, a borstal, which is a young person's prison. Yeah, juvenile prison. But when he got released after the 10 months, uh, he... Uh, <laughs> He didn't have much time on the street because he got called up for national service. Yep. Uh, that was a UK conscription thing that was going on at the time. And he back. wasn't happy about it. I think they should bring it back. Yeah. Especially now I'm 30 and too old to do it. I think they should bring it back. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I mean, he joined the Rifle Brigade, which is uh, the Prince Consort's own in the British Army. And he claimed to have reached the rank of sergeant. That's his claim. Evidence suggests he probably only reached the Lance Corporal. He saw action in the jungle fighting in the Mau Mau uprising, um, the Malayan uh, emergency, which is one of the things Britain got involved in. And uh, he was basically a jungle fighter. Hmm. Gives you a good grounding for life, I suppose. Well, no, that's true. I mean, he claimed that he'd killed four people under orders and he enjoyed doing it. I mean... He did his time, and he left the army. But he went back to a life of crime. Yeah. Okay. So, in 1959, him and him and an accomplice posed as tax inspectors to gain entry to the house, uh, the home of a, an old gentleman. Uh, the man was tied up, robbed, beaten about the head with a, a glass decanter, and this man later died. That's a murder, then. That's not just beaten up. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, he, he later died. But, and the downside of this is, he died of his injuries one year and one day after the assault. Right. What's that different? My difference that make? For a murder conviction, the person in the UK at the time had to die within one year of the attack. Is that still the case? No. No, I was going to say, people could be in comas for two, three years. Yeah. I mean, so he died outside the rules. So instead of being hung for murder, Roberts was given seven years in jail. Right. Now, at the trial, the, the judge said he was a brutal thug who came so close to the rope. 
Yeah, we still had the death sentence in 66, well, 59 then. Yeah. He did his time. He was released in July 66. Mm. Probably one who missed the rope. Kind of relative because this is the offence we're talking about happened in August 66. Yeah, that's mental, isn't it? Uh, how close it is. Mm. Anyway, the next criminal, John Whitney, we used to be known as Jack. Uh, amongst his peers. He was brought up with it by his mother uh, due to his father leaving. And when his mum died, he was sent to foster homes. He joined the British Army when he was 17, but deserted. So at 21, he got court-martialed for deserting. He was found guilty and given a year in Colchester Barracks. Brilliant. He escaped. All oh, right. <laughs> he was still on the run when he was arrested for this job that we're about to talk about. He wasn't the brightest bulb in the box. Doesn't sound it, to be fair. Yeah. He's not, as I would put it, not a full box of chocolates. Yeah. Sandwich short of a picnic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But on this particular Friday, (laughs) he was actually too scared to go home and tell his wife he'd lost his job, which is why he was out with the other two. Brilliant. Yeah. So if he'd grown a pair, he wouldn't have been involved in it at all. Correct. And he was driving his old tatty standard Vanguard on the uh, that they were in on the day. It was his vehicle. Right. Okay. Right. He was the driver. John Doddy, or John Duddy, I think they pronounce it, uh, was known as Jock. He came from a large family. He was one of 11. Scottish, by any chance? I'm, I'm assuming he would have been with that, that nickname. Very possibly. His dad was a police officer. Right. Okay. Yeah. At 16, he was sent to Borstal for committing a burglary, and he remained a, a really minor criminal till he was 21. Then he joined the British Army. So we've now got three people in the army. Mm. Trained. Yeah. Trained. Um, after leaving the army, he found it difficult to hold down a job. He joined up with Harry Roberts, and they committed a number of robberies together. Um, he'd been recently involved in a driving accident which prevented him from working as a lorry driver. And since the accident, his debts had mounted, he was drinking heavily, and his uh, three weeks prior, his wife had walked out on him. It's amazing, isn't it, how in stories like this, how many, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda moments, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Had they had dropped dropped that guy, you know, on the noose, he probably wouldn't have... But it wouldn't have happened and had he the other guy grown bollocks and told his wife he'd lost his job it wouldn't have happened and had this guy uh not had his car accident and lost his the ability to work and things spiraling out of control do you know what i mean it's that yeah. crazy in it how things take a huge dive yeah. off a cliff one small thing could be absolutely brilliant mm. um the police officers involved detective sergeant christopher head he'd been brought up by his mother his father had died when he was young he had three siblings, and he always wanted to be a police officer. He joined the cadets when he was 17, and then he joined the RAF police to do his national service. Fair enough. Uh, four and years later, he joined the Metropolitan Police. He's posted to Fulham. He was promoted to Detective Sergeant in CID, which is the Criminal Investigation Department mm-hmm. Detective Unit, uh, in 1964. And at 7.30 in the morning... As part of his normal routine, DS Head left the accommodation at Ravens Courthouse and walked the mile to Shepherd's Bush Police Station, which is where he worked. 
We're talking about the 12th of August. Yeah. Okay. Yeah? TDC, trainee or temporary detective constable David Wommel. It's spelt Wommel, but we call him Wommel. Um, yeah. Was 25 years old. He'd studied engineering before joining the police. At the time of the incident, he'd only been with the police force for three years. Uh, he'd been married to his wife for four. They had two small children, a three-year-old and an eight-month-old. And at 7.15 on the morning of the 12th of August, he kissed his wife goodbye, pulled out of their home on East Acton Lane and drove his green VW Beetle to Shepherd's Bush Police Station. Yep. Police Constable Geoffrey Fox, 41 years old, He'd been a police officer for 16 years in Shepherd's Bush. He knew the area. He knew the people. He knew the places. He knew where things happened. He was married, and he'd been married for 20 years. He had three children, and uh, both of them were two of them were teenagers, and the other one was two years old. He had been assigned to a Q car on the okay. morning of the 12th of August, and what is a Q car? Before we go any further. <laughs> I'll tell you that. In a, I'll, 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 okay, we'll, come, we'll come back to it. Yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give you what a cue car is. And a cue car, which was assigned to CID, okay. is is actually an unmarked police vehicle. Are they still called that? Yeah. Huh. We still call them cue cars. Got some good ones now. Oh, yes, we have. Saw a Ford Ranger. That was that was. Sorry, I know it's completely off topic, but I was driving when I was driving down to you. I saw a Ford Ranger, unmarked police car. I was like, "Wow, they've really gone up in the world." We've got we've got some good ones. Yeah, his journey to work, twenty minutes, rush hour traffic, so he's going towards Shepherd's Bush Police Station. Yeah, so we've got three officers heading towards the start of their shift. Okay. Now, Q car is based on um, Second World War terminology. Okay. All right. Because of the German U-boat threat, what the British decided to do was they built what they called Q ships. And they were ships that looked like merchant seamen, merchant ships. Yeah. But they had heavy guns on them. And when a submarine at the start of the war surfaced to put a torpedo into it, they dropped the side of the... Uh, the side of the ship, and they'd blast the submarine out of the water. That's really clever. Yeah, they were called Q-ships. They're di disguised ships. And that's where the Q-car thing comes from. Ah, that makes sense. Okay, so the day begins. Seven o'clock. PC Fox kisses his wife goodbye, drives a 40-minute journey in rush hour traffic yep. to Shepherd's Bush. Fifteen minutes later... TDC Wommel kisses his wife and babies goodbye, pulls out of their home in East Acton and drives the VW Beetle towards Shepherd's Bush Police Station. Yeah. 7.30, DS Head leaves his accommodation and walks to Shepherd's Bush Police Station. Okay. 8 o'clock, they all started the shift. All right. So Friday, 12th of August, 1966, 8 o'clock, Shift starts. They were in a queue car named after the U-boat hunters of the Second World War. The officers were all in plain clothes, and the car has no police markings. It is a Triumph 2000 automatic. 
Okay. It's not a slow car. No. It was a fast, reliable car, uh, but if it did have a fault, it was the gearbox. There was a delay when the vehicle was placed into reverse. Okay. Under normal circumstances, it's not a problem. You could live it. Today, however, it would be fatal. Okay. What, the delay? The delay. Okay. Why is that? Why, what difference does it make? Mm, there we go. Something you didn't know. Yeah. All right. The call sign of the car was Foxtrot 1-1 or Foxtrot 11. As their shift started, Whitney and Roberts called at Duddy's home in Paddington. They had planned to steal a dark blue 1966 Ford Corsair, which had been parked up near East Acton train station. They'd already bought, a, already got hold of, they hadn't bought them, uh, a set of identical false plates. Yep. And they were going to put those plates on another Ford Corsair. So the Corsair that they were after, they created identical plates. Yeah. To that. Makes sense. They then were going to put those plates on an identical car, right? So that if the police drove past, it would fool them. They'd think that the car, the stolen car, was parked on the side of the road. Yeah, which makes sense in that time where, you know, there's no police computer service. Yeah. So straight away they had problems because Roberts, his car, was a black Daimler and it had a brake failure, so it was just too dangerous to drive. Okay. Which unfortunately left only one car available to them, and that was Whitney's, the Vanguard. Yeah. Roberts brought a brown canvas bag containing overalls, false number plates, and three handguns. The handguns at the time were legal. Yeah. All right, it's 1966. I mean, Roberts later said he felt naked without a firearm, and he'd he'd, uh, been warned by his landlady that if he was caught with one, he'd get 15 years. You know, 15 years in prison. So he knew the risk. He knew the risk, and he wasn't a brainiest person on on the... the things so um he didn't bother to check it he wouldn't get a 15 year sentence because he had a firearm well it would be because he was in possession of an unlicensed firearm whilst on parole right so if he'd have if he had a registered one he would have been fine yeah apart from the fact that he's an ex-prisoner he shouldn't have one anyway yeah yeah but but it was a lesser offense yeah for some reason they abandoned the corsair idea Right. Okay. So they couldn't get this, this Corsair. 12.30, Foxtrot 1-1 went back to the police station for lunch. Okay. Bugger all had happened. They're cruising around, haven't seen anything. Now, lunch in those days for the police, especially in plain clothes, was taken at the local public house. So they went down to the Beaumont Arms, mm-hmm. which is near Shepherd's Bush Police Station. At one o'clock... Roberts, Whitney, and Dudney, unable to find the blue Corsair, started looking for a, a look-alike car. Uh, they found one, but he, but Whitney, who was supposed to be the locksmith, couldn't get into it. He broke the wire trying to get into the lock. Okay. Now, that pissed off Roberts so much that the swear words were unbelievable. 
he eventually ordered the other two back into the vanguard and they went to the clay pigeon pub in eastcote uh for roberts to actually calm down so he's quite an aggressive very nasty person he's a nasty person at two o'clock foxtrot one one went back out for the final three hours of their shift so they've left the pub they've had lunch they've gone back they've got three hours left on their shift and they're kind of hoping that the patrol is going to be as uneventful as it was the first that first few hours yeah Nice day at work then. Fifteen twelve. Mm-hmm. So an hour and a bit later. Yeah. Foxtrot one one turns into a road called Urkonwald Street. Uh, like most of the others, it was quiet. There were children playing, um, but as they've pulled in, they've seen ahead in front of them this rusty old 1952 standard vanguard patchwork paint job suspension rattling backfiring exhaust held on with wire bald tires and it was traveling slowly all three occupants looked as if they were looking about for something which they were ed's on old's on suspicious car yeah so keeping the cue car some distance back from it they maintained observation on it the vanguard turned into Braybrook Braybrook Street. Uh, the officers decided they're going to stop it and speak to the three people inside. Mm-hmm. Standard procedure for police officers all over the world. Yeah. PC Fox drives alongside the vanguard. DS Head winds his window down, shows his police ID and motions for the vanguard to pull over. Yeah. Vanguard pulls over and stops. Quarter past three. I'm going to give you times during this. You yeah. know that. You've worked that out, haven't you? I have, yeah. 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 So three minutes later. So they followed it for three minutes. Yeah. Uh, DC Wommel records the stop in Foxtrot 11's record book. Mm-hmm. Friday, 12th of August, 1966. Time, 3.15pm. Location, outside, 57 Braybrook Street. Vehicle description, blue standard Vanguard, registration, PGT-726. That's written in the book. Standard notes. The street, peaceful, people going around in normal activities, children playing in the street, a couple of women chatting at their front doors, two delivery men parked up in a lorry just further down the road. You know, it was just a very peaceful sort of scene. In line with police procedure... DC Wommel and DS Head exited the police car. Fox, who was the driver, positions the car a few lengths ahead of the Vanguard, kept the engine running. Okay. So the police car is now in front of the Vanguard. DS Head goes to the curbside, looks in at the occupants. DC Wommel goes over and speaks to the driver. Having shown his ID, is it your car? Whitney, who was driving, polite, cooperative. Yes, sir, it is. I mean, Whitney obviously knew that the condition of the vehicle. He knew, you know, he'd probably get off with a telling off and, and a small fine. Yeah. At this point, it's just a traffic stop. So if Whitney agreed with the officer and wasn't sarcastic or smart, they might be allowed on their way. Yeah. Okay. He knew his vehicle wasn't legal. It didn't have road tax. It wasn't insured. 
So he's pleading with DC Wommel to give him a time to sort it out. Okay. Well, she wouldn't get away with nowadays, but back then you you, you could have done. Yeah, you might have done. Got away with yeah. That. Harry Roberts is in the front passenger seat. This is the hothead. He's looking a little bit uncomfortable, probably because he's got uh, the bag between his feet, which contains the overalls and the guns. Mm. John Duddy, he's sitting in the back seat. DS Head says to Roberts, Sir, what's in the bag? Now, that is the spark. Yeah. That's what starts it all off. Harry Roberts does what every criminal does. Instead of answering and be, being a little bit nice, decides to play a little bit clever, totally blanks him. Yeah. DS Head knocks on the window. Sir, I asked you what's in the bag. Roberts gives a, gives a sort of huff, opens the bag, and inside, dirty overalls. Nothing else. Whitney's still complaining to uh, the officer at the, at the driver's window. If he lost his van, he would lose his income, he'd lose his house, he'd probably lose his wife. He handed DC Wommel his driving license for investigation and examination. Yep. DS Head on the other side tries the door. It's locked. Okay. So he knocks on the window louder, which is dropped very, very slightly. Sir, open this door. Bearing in mind these officers are unarmed. Mm. And they, you know. Now, Roberts hated the police. He resented the fact that they're always telling him what to do. He blamed them for everything. And every time he'd been caught breaking the law, he knew that the false plates would be suspicious because he had them in the bag. But. They couldn't be associated with any crime, so it was the uh, and it was still illegal. It's still legal to carry a gun, but you needed a gun license, and an ex-convict couldn't have a gun license. So he risked being sent back to prison and and getting a sentence. Sir, I need you to show me what's in that bag. Roberts reaches down for the bag and rummages inside. Sir. Roberts gets angry. Sir, his temper starts to rise. Sir, finally Roberts has had enough. Sir, DC Wommel at this point is leaning in the driver's window and listening to Whitney making all the excuses. Roberts pulls out a 9mm Luger from the gun, points it straight at Wormel across the front of uh, Whitney. Fuck off, pulls the trigger. Oh. Bullet goes straight through Wommel's left eye, kills him instantly. And he wasn't even the one questioning him? No. Now, like all British police at the time, the occupants of Foxtrot 1-1 are unarmed. No match for an armed criminal, especially if they're going to kill someone. DS Head does exactly what any sensible person would do, and he runs. He runs away from the vanguard towards the cue car, shouting, no, no, no. He's got his arms raised. He nearly makes it to the police car. Roberts fires again. The shot hits 
DS head in the back and spins him around, throwing him onto the road just to the left of the police car. Yeah. Right. Roberts goes up to him and points the gun in his face. Yeah. He fires. The gun jammed. DS head, severely injured, bleeding badly. He's got a collapsed lung and an entry wound in his back, coupled with the exit hole in his chest. Tries to crawl towards the front of the police car. Roberts grabs hold of his legs to try to stop him from getting to safety. The police officer kicks out wildly and connects with his face. Now, Roberts has now got a split lip. Having sorted out the gun, he took aim at the officer on the ground. He screamed but the gun jams for a second time. Right. Roberts then shouts, Duddy, get here, come on. Duddy didn't move from the back seat of the Vanguard. Duddy, for fuck's sake, get the driver. Yep, that's the driver of the police car. Roberts stood over DS head, struggling with the gun. PC Fox, he's the driver of the police car. Now he's got something to do. He slams the car into reverse. Okay. Now his view is to run into Robert, reverse over into Roberts. Yeah. Because Roberts is now standing on the road, aiming the gun at the police officer on the ground. Mm. If the Triumph can go backwards, it'll knock him over. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Good move. Use the car as a weapon. About all you can do. And then... The gearbox in the Triumph did what it did best. Didn't engage. Ah, right. Yeah, hence the delay. Brilliant. Duddy has now decided that he's going to get out of the car. He grabs the second gun from the bag and runs towards the police car. The police car is now reversing. Yeah. He um, fires at the police car. The shot shatters the passenger side window of the police car and travelled through the car, embedding itself in the driver's door. It missed Fox completely. Now, realising he's dealing with two gunmen, he's got a problem. Yeah. One car, two gunmen, you, you ain't going to know that. So he slims the car into neutral as Duddy fires a second shot. Bullet hole appears in the windscreen. The bullet passed through the car and out the windscreen, missed the driver again. Now he's got an opportunity to get out. Fox sticks the car into drive and stamps his foot on the accelerator. Yep. Duddy aims at Fox. This time he hits him. Square in the head. Bloody hell. Car's now in drive. Leaps forwards, engines going bananas... Clips Robert Roberts, who's standing over DS Head with the gun, but drives straight over DS Head, who is on the ground injured. Oh, because he's reversed back, hasn't he? Yeah. So he's reversed back past them, and then as he's gone forwards, he's ended up... Driving over the police officer. The, oh, bloody hell. Wow. That's crazy. It's it's not good. It trapped DS Head under the car, dragged him several yards down the road, wheels wheel spinning. Wow. So that's, that's... Whitney gets out of the car, takes his driving licence from Officer Wommel, who's on the ground dead, gets back into the car. Duddy and Roberts run over to the now 
reversing Vanguard because Whitney wants to get out of there as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. He's got nothing to do with this. And he, they all jump in the car. As they make their way out, two people coming around the corner in another car see what's happened. Yeah. Passenger writes down the number plate, PGT 726. Now, bear in mind, it's also written inside the police car. Yeah, but they don't the know that at the time. But they don't know that at the time. Takes a long time to trace these uh, the, the owner of this Vanguard because there's no database for it. We're talking 1966. Yeah, there's no computer system for it. It's Friday afternoon. Everything shut. Everything in the UK shut at five o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. Still does. Most yeah. of it. Eventually, Whitney was identified as the owner of this Vanguard. So he go. So the police go round to his address. They arrest him. And he denies being in in the, at the scene. He claims he sold the car earlier in the day for fifteen quid. That's fifteen pounds. Yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> Do you I've know? Sometimes that. I have to think about this. Yeah, I've done that loads of times. You say yeah. things, um, but <laughs> this is where it goes. The wife turns around and says to the police that he'd been out all day and hadn't mentioned anything about selling the car. <laughs> <laughs> so his wife dropped him in it. Yeah. Yeah. Few days later, on two days later, Whitney finally tells police what happened and who the other two in the car were. Uh, John Duddy was found hiding in Scotland, and he was arrested on the sixteenth of August. Now, this happened on the twelfth, so we took him four days. In two days, they got the first one. In th- four days, they got the second. Told you, he was Scottish. Yeah. He actually got flown back to to London for trial. Roberts disappears. No computers, no CCTV, no social media. It's far easier to drop out of so uh, mm. out of the world in 1960s. Roberts, with his military training, he just did. He, that's what he did. Just disappeared. It was he the one that was in the jungle. Yeah, yeah. So he's got a lot of. He's got more training potentially than the other two, and has actually seen. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the Vanguard was actually found locked away under some railway arches after a tip-off from the member of the public who actually saw it being dumped once it made the newspapers. Um, inside the car, they found fired bullets matching the gun used by Duddy and lots of other bits. Hmm. So now starts one of the biggest manhunts in UK history. You thought the Jack the Ripper was... Uh, Jack the Ripper was only London. Yeah. This is the whole of the UK. Um, the police offered a £1,000 reward for any information on Roberts. He went to ground. Yeah. It took 90 days for him to be found. Wow. 15th of November, and he was found in um, in a barn hmm. in Bishop Stortford in Hertfordshire, which is slightly north of London. Yeah. He'd been living in Epping Forest <laughs> for weeks, living off the land. land. He'd been his his hide or one of his hides was found by a kid, and Ripper told Mum. Mum mm. told police. Police went round, looked around, everything else, and then decided to search the area. And they found him in a barn. Awesome. He came out peacefully. Well, he's a bit fucked otherwise, isn't he? Yeah. 
You know, he really not really got much of a choice at that point. Yeah. Um, the trial took place very, very quickly, actually. 12th of December, 1966. Uh, but unfortunately, the death penalty for murder had been abolished the year before. So there's no death penalty. Ugh. <laughs> Funnily enough, I did a, an episode a couple of weeks ago on uh, execution methods and... Yeah, I think any of them would have been good for these guys. So Yeah. Um, I mean, the judge at the trial says, it, 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 he was quoted as saying, it matters not who fired the gun. Each one of you is responsible for the act of the others. Well, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I, I know you're going to have a different opinion of that, but I think the guy driving the van, if he'd have, apart from the fact that he lied in the first instance, but if he'd have gone straight to the police in that instance he is not as culpable as everybody else in that as far mm. as i'm concerned you can't be held accountable for what other people do but mm. that's my i think the law looks at it slightly differently yeah, and says uh if you when you see something happening that's obviously against the law your um duty as a citizen, citizen of, of of the country is to um prevent them from doing so yeah, but you can't prevent... unless it's your life at risk which it would be in that sense no, would it? yeah there were three guns in the car yeah but can, <laughs> you, can you imagine i mean you, those two guys are quite um, hotheads the downside of it is they're all criminals and they yeah. wouldn't, they wouldn't do it on each other but yeah do you know the jury took 30 minutes <laughs> brilliant <laughs> i think that's enough time for a cup of tea isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah um, they, they were all found guilty of firearms offences, intent to resist arrest, three counts of murder, all three sentenced to life in prison with a recommendation of 30 years. Yeah, life that isn't life. That is massive for the UK. It is. And it's... Life imprisonment in the UK is between 15 and 20 years, Which... unless the judge says, with a minimum. Yeah. Which I think is mental, because to me, life is life. All of them should have died behind bars. That end of. Yeah. You you take someone's life, unless there's mitigating circumstances, like, you know, it's an accident, or, you know, something like that. Life is life. You're in there till you die, and there's no... There should be any leeway with that at all. No. But... None whatsoever. That's one thing I think America does do very, very well. Is The downside of that, though, if you're sentenced to 120 years... Yeah. You have no prospect of getting out. True. It doesn't matter what the hell you do in there. They can't add any more to you. No, but on that basis, I mean, apart from the guards who work in the prison, but, I mean, if he's... You know, if you get sentenced to 120 years and you go in and... Some got your cellmate pisses you off and you go, oh, fuck this, I'm just going to kill him. I mean, you'd probably be put in solitary for a bit, but you're just taking another criminal off the street anyway, so it's not really... It's, <laughs> yeah, you know, there is that. It's not that big of a deal. It was when they started going for prison officers <laughs> and things like that, that's where... Uh, but yeah, that's when you bring in the death penalty. Mm. You'll like this, though. Go on. John Duddy died in prison, 1981. Yay! <laughs> Jack Whitney... The driver yeah. was released in 1985. Yeah. See, I, I don't. I I actually don't see that as a bad one because to me, he didn't actually do anything. He he didn't pull the trigger. 
No. So, but he was beaten to death by his flatmate six years later. Yeah, well, <laughs> karma gets you at some point, doesn't it? Yeah. So he died in 1991. Harry Roberts mm. was released 11th of November 2014. He'd served 48 years. I mean, that's quite a long time, to be fair. He was, at the time of his release, the longest-serving prisoner in the UK. Mm. He currently is still alive and lives in London. I'm guessing he's got a different name. I would have hoped so. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's rare to be police officers to be killed on duty, but it does happen. Yeah. And that is one story of well no, but three officers let's be honest dad you could make a podcast on just metropolitan police stories so oh yeah. i could do that with my eyes shut <laughs> yeah so you know i but, mean uh, on the 50th anniversary of the murders they um they they put a memorial stone at the site of the incident and it is told to all police officers who joined the metropolitan police are they shown pictures of the there are pictures on on uh, on the uh, on websites, yeah. <laughs> so so you're telling every single police officer in London this guy is still alive somewhere in London. Oh yes. <laughs> Go find. Yeah. I mean he's going to be ancient now, isn't yeah. he? He's, you know, oh yeah. You probably wouldn't recognize him, but yeah. That's uh bloody hell. So that's quite a that's quite a good story. I like that. It's something it's, very different. It's um, different. Yeah. It was very, very famous in the UK at the time of the incident. Yeah, I can imagine. I see if it's still being taught now to police officers. Mm. I mean, it's being taught because you have three people in a car. The procedures they used, they followed at the time. Yeah. Those procedures are now slightly different. One person goes to the car. The cars that we use don't have delays, don't have faults. No. We have radios that would now, we're stopping this car. Yeah. You know, can you create a report that we've stopped this car on this street? Before you even get out the car. Yeah. And the next thing that would have come out of probably the, the driver or something, shots fired. And, yeah. And all of a sudden of you've got SO19 breathing down you, um, which is, yeah, armed police. Oh, yeah. It's really I mean, weird seeing this story, sat here looking at a picture of Cressida Dick, who, for those of you who don't know, is the police commissioner for the Metropolitan <laughs> Police. Just talking about this story, and I look up, and there's the Metropolitan yeah, yeah, Police Yeah, she's, she's yeah, she's on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so that's quite a quite a strange one. But, yeah, it's a, it's a cool story. It's a, It's not a nice story. Like I said, uh, you know, I know some of you guys have obviously messaged me saying... Um, I had a message from, from I, I can't remember his name, I do apologise, I'm sure it was Gary, um, messaged me saying that his, his dad was also a police officer. Um, so, you know, I know to some of you guys, this this might actually hit home oh, yeah. a little bit. It's not it's not a nice story. And, and um, I'm, I'm sure it was, it was, must have been last year, and it was a police officer in London that was shot in sat in the car. Yes. And that's, I'm assuming, is the one who died last year. And... Obviously, being a you know a driver and you know I'm, I've got the radio on all the time and you you hear things and and you know a good few years ago, um, God, it must have been about eight or nine years ago we had the riots in London 
And I remember calling you in the middle of it, going, are you all right? And I'm, yeah, I'm just stood here watching them loot the buildings. And I'm like, oh, why aren't you doing anything? And you go, well, there's 10 of us and 300 of them. What are you good? What would you do? Well, yeah, all right. I can understand why you stood there watching then. But it's, you know, you do, you sort of, you see all this stuff going on and you sort of forget that the police are mm. there in the middle of it day in day out and how much work they actually do and you obviously you get a few bad apples um as we've seen you know obviously abroad and we have had them in this country the the police officer that was arrested um in this country um i can't remember his name but he, he murdered that that woman it was literally yeah, in the news this year. So, you know, there are some Every bad apples. Every walk of life, you're going to have somebody who yeah. doesn't, doesn't toe the line. But the majority of police officers are out there day in, day out. And they are there for the benefit of the general public. And I think there's a lot of shit that's been thrown at the police in the last two years, specifically the last two years, um, that I don't think is warranted. You know, it's... Uh, it's very easy to to sit here and say things and I, I've listened to it. I've listened to all the news and things like that. And from my perspective, I've always seen the police as, as good. I've never seen the police as bad. Um, but you see this stuff on the news and it just, it really bugs me and I'm getting it off my chest now, but <laughs> it really bugs me that people, you know, they, there's a, a movement at the moment in America to defund the police because of a handful of bad police officers. And when you're talking about that statistic, uh, last year, 49 police officers in America were were shot dead. Um, you know, and, and your police officers are armed. So it's just, yeah, 49 by gunfire. And that's that's crazy to to me to think that these guys, like my dad, are parents, their grandparents, their husbands and wives. They're going to work day in day out to earn a living. Most of these people don't do this job because they love upholding the law and they love pissing people off. It's a job. Okay, maybe you do. You <laughs> yeah, like pissing people off, but the majority <laughs> of people are, are there because it's their job and. When you're talking about people doing their job and under gunfire on your job, it's it's a scary prospect. And yeah, oh, you yeah. know, the police deserve a lot more respect than what I think they're getting at the moment, and and it, it pisses me off. Hmm. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I got that off my chest now. <laughs> That's okay. I'm going to get so much hate mail now. I'm going to get all these people going, you don't live in America, you don't know what our police are like, and I'm like, no, I don't. I don't know what your police are like. But I know what our police are like, and they're not as bad as what they're being painted. So, well, well, it is what it is. Um, I can't comment on other countries. No, I try police, not to. Police, um, there's going to be good and bad with all. Yes, yeah, there is. I, I can only speak from my own experience, and as far as I'm concerned, I don't care whether somebody's Martian from Venus, from from the planet Earth, or whatever. They all get treated the same. Yeah, if you're a dickhead. You're a dickhead. Yeah, if you're an idiot, if you're an idiot, yeah. I'm going to treat you like an idiot. Yeah, I and, agree. Totally. And, and providing my body worn video camera is on, I'll call you an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Good. That's the way it should be. But you know, that's it. So hopefully that um, that that just yeah something that uh, you you found a little bit interesting, and um, and hopefully I'll you'll invite me back. Oh, definitely, definitely. I know we've got a few more episodes planned. So like I say, I love love having you on. So I enjoy it, and I know my <laughs> listeners enjoy it, so it's it's all good. 
Yeah. And like you said, America, you don't have the monopoly on police killings. So there we go. That's one thing for you. I know uh, I had a message. Obviously, I'm doing my serial killer thing on on uh, Patreon. And I got a message from Paul. Uh, I know you've spoken to Paul as well. And he, he said to me, um, you know, he he he'd always grown up knowing that serial... He always thought, apart from Jack the Ripper, all serial killers were American because that's all they're taught. So he was quite shocked to know that America don't have the monopoly on serial killing. So I'm assuming he'll be like completely gobsmacked that they don't have the monopoly on uh, on police shootings either. So, no. yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, so thank you for listening, guys. And uh, like I said, we'll definitely have you back on, on for another wonderful episode again, Dad. And remember, guys, we'll see you next week. We all have history. Make yours great. Bye-bye. Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like... Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or... Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like... Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. This week at Macy's, get an extra 20% off with your coupon or Macy's card. That's on top of great deals, like 10 to 65% off home essentials during our big home sale. Or shop specials, like the Radley five-piece sectional sofa, $2,199, and 500 thread count sheets and more, 75% off. Plus, Macy's Star Rewards members earn on every purchase, except gift cards, services, and fees. Sign up today at macy's.com slash star rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply.